Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Great to have Adam Purdy on the show today. What do you think, boys? Dad sounded pretty good, didn't he? Kind of stole the show from the host. <laughs> Maybe he and Tony Romo could do a show. Well, Tony, I mean, how about CBS? Yeah. <laughs> Guys retired for eight minutes. You're in. <laughs> now they have to decide after 20 years what they want to do with Phil Sims. Where do they put him? Who do they pair him with? Uh, but Tony Romo will be the number one guy with uh, Jim Nance. Okay. Play-by-play call of the day. Last night's national championship, an exclamation point to put it away. 21.9 seconds to go, second half. Gonzaga down three. I think you try to drive it quickly, see if you can get something going to the basket. Williams goes around a Karnowski screen, spins inside, forcing it up, rejected by Meeks. Barry's got it. Long lob ahead to Jackson. Two-hand stuff. Five-point lead and a steal. Meeks takes it away. Barry will be fouled by Perkins with 7.3 seconds to go. And Carolina seconds away from erasing a year's worth of pain. Kevin Kugler, who joined us on the show last Tuesday with the call on Westwood 1 of the National Championship last night, won by North Carolina, the third for Roy Williams, the third in the hist- the sixth in the history of North Carolina basketball. All right, let's uh, turn our attention to football. The blue-white game is two weeks from Saturday at Beaver Stadium. Ryan Snyder, Rivals.com, and Blue White Illustrated now joins us. Ryan, welcome. It is great to have you with us. Uh, this is the time of the year where uh, prospects make their visits. So what does the guest list look like for Penn State so far? The visitor list? Well, this past weekend was, was appeared to be kind of quiet. I was away this past weekend, so it worked out well for me. Um, but Perfect. But this next upcoming weekend is, is looking like it'll be a pretty solid crowd. Um, two two notable prospects, um, PJ Mustaver, a, a D lineman out of uh, out of Maryland. Uh, he'll he'll be coming up. This will be his first visit in, I believe, since the season. Um, I, I believe he was at one of the games. I apologize, I can't remember which one off the top of my head. But you know, he's been on campus a few times over the past year. Um, at one point, he actually called uh, Penn State his top school. But you know, since then, he's gotten a lot more offers, and um, you know, has has just focused on different things. You know, he's a top wrestler and other things. The recruiting just hasn't been his priority. I, I think that, you know, once he gets out, comes back to Penn State, able to see a couple other schools this spring, we'll, we'll see a revised list from him. Um, I absolutely always expect Penn State to be top five at, at minimum. So that's a good, solid uh, solid start. Another another top prospect, uh, Jack Lamb, um, linebacker out of California, actually, which is, which is good to see. Penn State's really been been pushing with California, Texas, you know, a lot of Southern prospects and 
you know, when, when you win a win a Big Ten championship and you know have a performance for the ages in the Rose Bowl, you're going to grab attention from prospects all across the nation, and, and we're really seeing that this year. So, to get Lamb on campus is great. Um, his family actually has ties to Penn State, um, which is good. I, I believe um, both of them are, are alumni. So, so to get him up here is big. You know, they, we'll see how how much um, you know distance from home impacts him. I, I don't think it'll be much considering. You know his family ties, but you know at the same time they got to visit first. So let, let's see how everything goes. Um, he, he actually, as of right now, the second he doesn't have an offer, but I do expect that to change this weekend uh, when he when he comes all the way across the country. So two really important 2018 prospects will be on campus Saturday, and then one other notable, uh, Jeremiah Gray, a 2019 prospect. Um, Gray already does have an offer um, from the staff. He, he's actually the son of Derwin Gray, who. Um, actually was, was drafted at one point and uh, played, played a few years in the league. So three solid prospects, and, and we know that list is only going to grow, um, you know, between now and Friday. So it's, uh, it should be a handful of guys up this weekend, at least a dozen or so. Uh, the next part is obviously the next weekend after that's Easter weekend, but then the Blue-White weekend. How is that beginning to shape up? Right now we're looking at – right now I have – you know, when it comes to confirmed, confirmed, you know, guys we know are going right. to be here, it's probably only about eight to ten, you know, guys that absolutely are locked in. But, you know, we've spoken with probably about 20 or so guys that are, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely considering it. You know, it's still a couple weeks out. want to double-check with my family. So, um, you know, as far as having a locked-up, you know, 25, 30-person list, still probably a week or two away. Um, but we do have a handful of guys that, you know, already have scholarships and are expected to be on, on campus. Um, just, just a couple off my head. Uh, Blake Zubovic, he's a, he's a lineman out of um, Blake Vernon, PA. He was actually just here a couple weeks ago and, and picked up an offer. Definitely a guy to remember. Um, Marcellus Burlington was, was, on a, was on campus for Junior Day in February, I believe. You know, he has an offer, Nan Asiatu, uh, the, the lineman out of uh, Stafford, Virginia. Uh, he's been on campus. I think this will be his third, actually, this spring if, if he makes it back. Um, and he's actually a guy who's already called Penn State's top school. So another player, uh, Brian Asamoa, another top 2018 guy, has an offer. Uh, Caden Wallace is a top 2019 uh, offensive lineman out of Princeton, New Jersey. He has an offer. So, you know, we're, we're looking at probably anywhere between six and ten guys that you know already have offers and are planning to be here and you know once we get into probably about five or excuse me about ten days from now you know that list should be um anywhere probably about 20 30 deep and and i I would i I would expect the total list to be um at least 50 probably probably closer to 60 or 70 uh you know once we get within a few days of uh, of the game So many uh, programs have already gone through their spring game. Some have it this weekend. Michigan State had theirs last weekend. What about Mm -hmm. the timing of Penn State's being a week after Thanksgiving, the weekend of the 22nd? Is there there aren't as many that weekend? So does that make uh, does that make some difference in terms of what people can and can't do? There's one issue this year, Steve: the opening, the regional opening camp in Washington D.C. that same weekend, and that actually will probably hurt Penn State a little bit. Um, You know, just. Now, don't get me wrong, a lot of these prospects will end up going to out in Ohio. Um, there's another one in New Jersey. So there are, you know, camps throughout the region in different weeks, you know, once you get into later in April and into May. Um, a lot of these prospects will, will end up going to other camps. But 
um, there is a, a really big, um, you know, the, for anyone that knows recruiting, you know, the opening is a is a big deal nowadays. It's, it's run by ESPN right. and Nike, and you know, they have a bunch of regional camps to, to try and find some of the best players, and you know, to to gain an invitation to to the main event in July. So, you know, there will be, um, I would say, at least probably a dozen to twenty guys that you know Penn State would love to have on campus, but are going to end up at that camp. Um, so, but but look, I mean, there Penn State is, is is in such a good position with so many top twenty eighteen guys, and and even more importantly, you know, because of how well they've done in twenty eighteen. Uh, they're in an amazing position with so many top 2019 guys. I mean, there are literally, right. you know, there's going to be probably 15, 20 guys that go to that camp, and there's still going to be 100-plus prospects to, to try and get on campus. So it's going to be a great showing. I have no doubt that they'll get 50, 60, 70 guys on campus, and out of that number, probably 20 to 25 of them will have scholarship offers already. So it'll be a great crowd, but, yeah, the opening camp, uh, whenever they overlap, it does kind of uh, hurt a little bit. When you took this job, Ryan, uh, how active did you expect it to be, and what's the reality been compared to what your expectations were? James Franklin has changed everything, man. You know that. Oh, <laughs> I mean, sure, it's, it's, of course it's I incredible. Do. Oh, it's, yeah. it's incredible. It's, I mean, and don't get me wrong. Let me, let me start by saying this. Bill O'Brien had, if he didn't have one hand tied behind his back, he had two. You know, I mean, it was. It was it was a lot different, you know, sure. when because I started, you know, right after everything happened, and, right. Um, and you know, and don't get me wrong, you know, Paterno's staff was amazing, you know, they had a lot of guys that worked really hard, but it's just so much different now, you know, when when you when you look at everything from Twitter to Facebook, now now that you can text prospects, it's just so much more active. There's so much more work. I mean, you know, the, to to <laughs> I, I every time I see Josh Gaddis or Terry Smith or any of those guys, you know, I joke with them about how. You know, are you getting any vacation time? Because I'm trying to follow you guys, and it's crazy for me. So I can only imagine how how hectic it is for them. Um, but it's just, you know, we're we're seeing things speed up so quickly in such a short amount of time, and and that's why I really do believe why you're seeing, you know, early signing periods being talked about. And you know, yes, we're, we're going to get one here in December, it looks mm-hmm. like. But I really think it, that's going to grow quickly too into. You know, possibly two early signing periods and, and official visits in the summer. I mean, in just the last couple of years, we've seen things speed up so quickly. Where, uh, you know, just a couple of years ago, you know, you would hear about wow, you know, that one eighth grader that got an offer, or that that one <laughs> freshman that got an offer. You know, now you're now. I mean, there's in Penn State's going to offer ten to fifteen freshmen by the end of the season. You know, I mean, it's it's just it's just how it works. And if they don't do that, they're behind schedule, and and that's what makes. Franklin and his staff, you know, so successful at recruiting is, you know, they understand the, the way things work. They understand how quickly things are moving and they're staying on top of it. I mean, just like, you know, the satellite camp stuff, you know, that got a lot of publicity about, you know, being ahead of most others. Well, there's a lot of other things behind the scenes that they're ahead of, uh, ahead of a lot of other, pro- uh, you know, a lot of other coaching staffs in the nation. So it's, uh, it's, it's a good time to be a Penn State fan because this staff, uh, you know, not only have they, have they now officially proven that they're, they're, you know, ahead of most on the field. Uh, they've already proven for the last couple of years that they're ahead of most on the recruiting game. Yeah, because that you know, Joe's staff was right for that era. This staff is right mm-hmm. for this era. I mean, it's just the exactly. way it's the way it is. All right, hey, exactly. Ryan, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon, Steve. Well, right. I'm sure we'll talk before the Blue White game. <laughs> I'm sure we will. Thanks, Ryan. Ryan Snyder, Rivals.com, Blue White Illustrated. We'll come back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. 
When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Mertz family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Now, I'm not saying that this uh, will determine, would have determined the outcome of last night's game, because we don't know. Gonzaga played so poorly on offense in the second half, part North Carolina playing much better defense in the second half, and part Gonzaga not playing well offensively. But remember the jump ball, the held ball, the held ball, with about, I don't know, 40-something seconds to play? You know that play? Kennedy Meeks is on the floor. I think Karnowski uh, had knocked it away. Meeks went to the floor. I, I want to say Melson had a chance to get it, but Meeks got there first. Uh, I think it went it went off of Melson's hands, and then Meeks got there, and then finally Karnowski jumped in and got they got the hell ball, but the arrow was with North Carolina. You do know that that call was completely blown, don't you? You're like, well, no, the hell ball. I mean, Karnowski. Yep. Yeah, okay. And again, this goes back to the TV coverage. You've got cameras all over the place. You've got announcers all over the place. Guess what? Kennedy Meeks' hand, and he's the one in possession of the ball originally, is out of bounds. It never should have been a hell ball. Official standing right there. Meeks has his hand out of bounds. This is what I'm talking about. You know, the, the calls on Collins last night, two of them, we have no idea, you know, what the heck they were, you know, what they were because CBS wouldn't show the replay, so you don't know what he did. They were called, you know, and you know how much I, I absolutely hate calls away from the ball. Why? because they have nothing to do with gaining an advantage on the play. Okay? But on that play, okay, it's a key moment, because, again, the possession arrow, we always pointed out, the possession arrow is really important. And we pointed out, I always, when I do my game resets, when I do my game resets, I always talk about where the possession arrow is. Well, last night, the possession arrow was with North Carolina. And by the way, CBS did an excellent job on the game reset with about a minute, a little bit more to go. So when the hell ball happened, you know, it was North Carolina's. Except here's the issue. 
The help ball was not called until Karnowski jumped in. Meeks already has his right hand clearly out of bounds while he has the basketball. And by the way, Melson's completely inbounds. Okay. Well, it should be Gonzaga ball. Now, Gonzaga, for all we know, throws up another bad shot, makes another bad drive, something, you know, because Gonzaga was not, I mean, the second half, there were moments in the first half they played really well offensively. And there are moments, and then the second half, they went over seven minutes without a field goal. But they still had a chance at that point. And Kennedy Meeks is there, and you know, because Karnowski knocks the ball out of Meeks' hand. Melson probably should have fielded it cleanly to begin with, but didn't. The ball goes to the floor. Meeks goes to the floor with his left hand around the basketball. Melson diving in, and Karnowski, they don't call the tie-up until Karnowski joins the party. Meeks is out of bounds. His right hand is laying out of bounds. I don't mean it's laying on the line. It's laying over. It's on top of the line, which he can't. I mean, he can't help. He's going down to get the ball. But that's, I mean, you want, and, and the official's five feet away, and the hand is not obstructed. Okay? It's not obstructed. And there's a great AP photo by David J. Phillip, who should get all the credit in the world for these shots, showing that Melson doesn't even have his hands on the ball, and Meeks is sitting on top of the ball with his hand out of bounds. Again, nobody's to say Gonzaga even scores after this, but it should have been their ball and not North Carolina's ball. And it's just part of what was a long night for those guys. Long night. Again, ball loose on floor. Official standing five feet away. Hand five feet from official out of bounds. There are too many default calls that are made during the course of a game of things they don't see that they think happen, which is my biggest issue with the lower-level guys in officiating. The middle- to upper-level guys usually are pretty good and just call what they see. It doesn't mean, you know, they don't have to all be right. There's nothing to do with that. They don't have to all be right. Um, But that was a big miss. That was not a small miss. That was a big miss. That's what I'm talking about. 44 fouls called in the game. I'm sorry, in a 40-minute game, you have 44 fouls called? It just drags it down. It's not watchable. Nobody came there to watch them, I mean, watch them officiate the game. Neither team played great. Okay, neither team did. All right, so you know, so they believe me, they're huge contributors to this. But there were too many. The problem. I don't mind foul fouls. I mean, if a guy commits a foul, he commits a foul. Simple as that. I mean, if there are forty-four of them. There are forty-four of them. But there's so many ticky-tack fouls away from the ball, and I, I abhor that screen and roll call. I hate it. Can't stand it. 
It's a default call. It's one of you know these guys don't know it's a moving screen. Oh come on, just let them play. People want to see points. Let them play. Let them move. Goodness sakes. Now, I'll give you an instance of a good call last night. Karnowski got called for a foul where he stepped out, and you could clearly say he took the hip and he kicked the hip out to get a to get a um, a screen. Okay, that's a good call. But I hate that screen and roll call where they call it a moving screen. Just knock it off and let them play. And I railed on that call all year because I think the call stinks for the game. Right? That call stinks for the game. People want to see points. That's why every single league, have you noticed, there very rarely are there new rules put in that bring more defense in. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, fourth straight in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, K routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Time now for the Sports Bozo of the Day. I think we've already delved into it with last night's game. I mean, second half. Now, the first half was pretty good. Second half, nobody nobody crowned themselves in glory last night. North Carolina wins the championship. They could care less because they got the championship. Uh, it's like Steeler fans could care less about Super Bowl 40 with Seattle, which was probably the worst officiated Super Bowl I've ever watched. But do Steeler fans care? Of course not. Their team won, and I don't blame them. They changed the result. Yep, five feet away, looking down at the dude's hand out of bounds. Key moment, not the right call. All right, hell ball, or is he out of bounds? Oh, he's clearly out of bounds. <laughs> so guess what? Can't have a hole. Right? And not only that, nobody else has their hand on the ball at the time he's out of bounds. Oh, well, not a good one. Yeah, they got another six months to... They've got to do something, though, with the game. You know, people can knock the NBA all they want, but you know what? You, uh, the officiating in the NBA allows them to play. College is trying to get scoring up. Well, they got to straighten out their own house first. I'm talking about those who, you know, how you enforce this thing and how much freedom of movement you give people. I mean, to me, the, the time to do that is usually the first two to three weeks of the season where you tell them, hey, look, this is how we're going to call it. And you better back off on it because we're going to keep calling it that way. That way, you know, you're creating more freedom of movement. A couple of other notes for you. I mentioned the Northwestern thing earlier. Uh, good for them. Now, they told, you know, Penn State told them, by the way, in no uncertain terms, in the beginning, uh, that we're not playing on Friday night. We're, gonna, we're not going to host a Friday night game. I can tell you that. Michigan told them the same thing right away. Right away. And uh, 
there's so many unintended consequences. Again, to me, the Big Ten and the SEC should not be on Friday Night Football. They don't need to be. Now, if you're the Mountain West, if you're Conference USA, if you're the American Conference, the MAC, maybe a select late Pac-12 game or something. Sometimes the Pac-12's on late at night. I know the Big 12 has some Friday night games. For our call, wasn't a, a Baylor-TCU game a Friday night game? It was in a driving rainstorm. But not the Big Ten. Not, the Big Ten already has a great TV package that's coming up. They're going to have Fox, Fox Sports 1, ESPN, ESPN 2, Big Ten Network. Then when they get to basketball, they'll add in the CBS component for basketball. So they have plenty of exposure nationally for the Big Ten and the money to go around with it. For one thing, for the most part, it's not perfect, but for the most part, Friday night belongs to high school football, for the most part. Most states that I go to, that I travel to, for road Penn State football games, I'll be watching the local news in the hotel a quarter after 11, 11.30 at night, and it's one high school game after another. So it's just like Pennsylvania. I don't care whether I go to Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, Minnesota, Nebraska, wherever I go, right? there's a huge high school package on the local TV station on a Friday night. So as much as Pennsylvania and Texas have set the tone forever, on Friday Night Football, everybody else has picked up on it. I can tell you, growing up in Connecticut, everybody played on Saturdays. Now in Connecticut, almost everybody plays on Friday. So Friday night is meant for high school football. Friday night's meant for the towns to get together. Saturday's meant for the states to get together. High school football on a Friday night means people going to Danville, people going to Milton, people going to uh, Sealands Grove, people going to Shikolimi, going to Mount Carmel. That's what it's meant for. Then Saturday, it's meant to go to Penn State. And then Sunday, you want to watch the Eagles or you want to watch the Steelers, you want to watch the Redskins or the Ravens or the Giants or the Jets, whatever. Okay, your pro team. And that really has always been the order of business the way it was set up. Now, ESPN, I completely understand between ESPN and Fox, they're always looking for programming. So, again... You know, there are 24, each one of them happens to be a 24-hour sports network. Well, the key to any 24-hour sports network, without exception, happens to be live events. Live events drive a sports network, not sports center and not pardon the interruption. And I say that with all due respect to PTI. I'm just saying the driver is a live event. So, I mean, I, can I blame ESPN for wanting to have a Friday night college football presence? No. Can I blame Fox Sports 1 for wanting to have a primetime Friday night exposure? No. Of course not. But the Big Ten and the SEC don't need it. So now the unintended consequence of what does it do to high school football on a Friday night in a particular area or town? But there's more to it than that. What if you happen to be... Well, let's just say it's Penn State. A Penn State fan, game 7 o'clock on Friday night, you have to work till 5 or 5.30. But you have all day Saturday off. How are you going to get to the game? I mean, you can get there, but are you going to be late? Are you going to miss out on the total experience, the whole thing? All right, let's go to the next part. 
It's Friday afternoon, October 20th. Game's at 7 o'clock Friday night. What time do you open the parking lots? After all, Friday, October 20th is a work day at Penn State University. And it's a work day for not just athletics, but it's a work day for everybody. It's a class day for students. And even if it's not a class day for students, there are people working over in the law office building. There are people working at Shields. There are people that are working over at the uh, physical plant. There are people working over at Fleet. I mean, you know, Meat Slab is open on Friday afternoon. People working there. I mean, there are people working. Some people use the Innovation Park satellite lot to go over uh, to a Penn State football game. Well, guess what? Friday afternoon at Innovation Park, World Campus is working. So what do you do? Give everybody the day off? Tell them to leave by tell them to leave by ten o'clock so the paying patrons patrons can come in and start tailgating. How do you do it? Obviously, this does happen some places. Virginia Tech for years led the league in Thursday night appearances, so I suppose you can call down there and find out how they did it. But it brings with it all sorts of issues to play on a Friday night as opposed to a Saturday. And I don't want to hurt the high school game. Above all, high school game to me is is a is a special town event. I love going over to games here at State College. Just to go over, you know, I mean I look, I can, I can only go to maybe one a year. You get a chance to see some people I haven't seen for a while, talk to them the whole thing, you know, but there are ele- other elements in crowds the night before a Penn State game obviously. And I just enjoy seeing everybody come together. And you know, the bands there, the Families and the friends of the band are there. The family and friends of the players are there. Towns there. Cheerleaders are there. Friends and families of the cheerleaders are there. Color guards there. You know, it's just an event. You go down to the concession stand. You pick up something at the concession stand. You know, a hot dog, some cider, or something. I know some people in the valley love halushki. Okay, great. And that's Friday night, and. Now, Penn State stepped in right away and said, we're not doing this on a Friday night. Michigan stepped in right away and said, we're not doing this on a Friday night. I don't understand why the Big Ten felt compelled. And, you know, it's interesting. You'd say, well, how about some of the lower-level teams in the league? They need some national exposure. Okay, valid argument. Purdue happens to be one of the teams that I think is on at least once, maybe twice in that Friday night package. So I pulled, uh, when I was at Purdue for basketball, in January, I pulled Tim Newton aside. Uh, Tim's the play-by-play voice for football. Tim doesn't do basketball. I think he does women's basketball, but he's the play-by-play guy for football. About as nice a guy as there is on the planet. And I was talking to Tim in the press room, and I said, what about the Friday night thing? He says, no. He says, there are a lot of people here that are really against it. Now, remember, if you had to pick one of the programs that could use some additional national exposure in the Big Ten, Purdue football would be one of them. They have a new coach in Jeff Brom. They feel like, you know, with an offensive mind now, they're going to make things a little more exciting there and so forth. Yet they're against it. And why are they against it? Tim was telling me straight out. He says, he says, he says, because of the high school football component here in the state. Now, Indiana is not known for having awesome and incredible, stunning, shockingly great high school football. But like any other state, Friday night is meant for high school football. And when I've done games at Purdue or at Indiana and I've watched the local news either in Lafayette or out of Indianapolis, guess what? They do 15, 20 minutes showing all the great high school football games across the state. 
or in that region. Same thing as our place. And that's what Tim was telling me. He said that a lot of people are really upset that Purdue is on the Friday night deal. And I said, and I said Tim, why is that? And he, right away he said, he said, people in our state feel Friday nights for high school football and that this is a slap to them. Again, it's something the Big Ten doesn't have to do. There's certain things that, as an entity, that other people need that you don't need. And the Big Ten does not need a Friday night platform. This doesn't. Now, opening weekend, okay, opening weekend's different because everybody opens either on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's Labor Day weekends, you know, there are a couple games on Sunday, one on a Monday nationally. That's fine. That's a holiday weekend. But not during the, once you get past that, I don't want us to lose just for the sake of modern era money or modern era exposure some of the traditions that have helped bond us over the years. And there are many things that bond us, and some of the things are coming up, for example. Uh, you know, I think what the Sunbury Fire Company always gives, has like a Mustang raffle. That's fun. Uh, River Fest is fun. Uh, we just had Adam Purdy on about the Purdy Memorial Golf Tournament. That's fun. Those are all things that, as a community, bond us together. And high school football's always been one of those things. Not the primary thing, but just one of the items that bond a community and bring a community together. Riverfest brings a community together. Purdy Memorial Golf Tournament brings a community together. You know, the, the fire company raffles that we have all over the place bring a community together. You know, the, the, uh, you know, the Bloomsburg Fair brings a community together. Well, high school football does the same thing. I don't want us losing that. Because the more we lose out on that, because a, quote, bigger entity wants to swallow it up on a particular night, I think we, I think we all lose something when that happens. It's okay for high, for high schools to have Friday night to themselves. Come back, wrap it up in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. <laughs> Welcome back. Great to have you with us. Okay. Uh, did you see this was put out by ESPN? ESPN has issued new political and election guidelines for its employees that, while allowing for political discussion on the network's platforms, recommend connecting those com- comments to sports whenever possible. The new policies also provide separate guidelines for ESPN staffers working on, the, the, on news and those engaging in commentary. This, these are their guidelines. Um, they say that no single issue or incident led to the change. But they did acknowledge that the nation's tense political climate did play a role. <laughs> now, there are certain moments where you have to connect it. All right, let's, and I'll give you an example. Uh, in North Carolina, they, um, uh, the bathroom law down there. Well, because the bathroom law was enacted... The NBA All-Star Game was moved from Charlotte to New Orleans. And the there no NCAA, there were going to be no NCAA tournament games in North Carolina unless it did change. And I believe Greensboro had been scheduled to host an ACC tournament or something like that, and it got moved. Well, at that point, because it is because sports is reacting to something 
a law, you do have to talk about it. All right, now that's related. But, for example, if I were to sit here and say, hey, did you see what happened with Susan Rice today on the sports show? Uh, No, that's really not my place, although I did laugh at one. I, I will freely admit I did laugh at one thing. I told nobody. I told nobody nothing. I'm like, going, you're from Stanford. <laughs> I kind of lived and kind of laughed at that. Like, uh, when they use that quote, uh, but that's where you can bring it in and and you can talk about it. Um, when Major League Baseball had Tampa Bay play in Cuba and President Obama went, that becomes responsible commentary. To then talk about is it is it correct to open the door to Cuba at this time while the Castros are still in charge? And to then bring in people with knowledge to tell you what the Castro regime has stood for over the years and why there has been this divide between the United States and Cuba. because And that's all surrounding the baseball game. Now, I think that's proper. When the Olympics went to Beijing, I think it was proper because there it is, right there for all to see. Right? But there are other times like involvement in the presidential election. If it has nothing to do with sports, stay out.